Freethinkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. Today we have a great guest. We're going to be delving into some controversial topics, which will probably make some of our longtime supporters and listeners head spin. But that's okay. That's what we're here to do. We're here to share new information with you guys, counterintuitive information, and uh, hopefully you enjoy this one. Peter Canones is a managing editor of the Libertarian Institute and hosts the Free Man Behind the Wall podcast. He released his first book, Freedom Through Memedom, The 31-Day Guide to Waking Up to Liberty, in November 2017. It reached number four in the Libertarian section on Amazon. He has spoken at the Liberty Forum in Manchester, New Hampshire, and is one of the executive producers on the documentary, The Monopoly of Violence. Welcome to the show, Pete, and thanks for making some time to join us today. Uh, I know you're quite prolific and busy creating content, so we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, Matt and I have both been on your podcast over the past few years, and we've long wanted to have you on ours. So um, we have a few topics to get into today, but as someone who keeps their finger on the pulse of news and culture, uh, we would love to know what has been on your radar over the past week or two. And of course, if nothing springs to mind, uh, being on the spot, maybe you could just share a few of the recent topics you've covered on your podcast or written about lately? I mean, the probably the thing today that's been driving me the most crazy is the fact that 5 to 11-year-olds are getting vaccinated now. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, Texas, um, a hospital in Texas had released pictures of kids getting vaccinated. The first picture, the kid is double-masked, and he just has like this stare like a thousand yard stare like i don't think that kid is double masking on purpose and i don't think that kid is there on you know is there because he wants to be and it just stuff like that not only breaks my heart but it's like i post up well when do they start doing you know newborns to four-year-olds and somebody goes well those trials have already started and I'm just like, what world am I living in? Where, where, where are we? And I mean, how do we get out of this? I mean, did did some kind was there some kind of effect that you know we switched timelines into like twenty months to medical tyranny? And I'm just, I'm that kind of stuff just floors me, you know, because it's like that can't be done without the without the parent initiating it and i'm just like what are you scared of i mean why are you doing this to a kid i mean these are when they say they've been authorized you know the fda has authorized the pfizer thing i won't mention it um 
for five to 11 year olds, it's like, well, the word authorized means, first of all, I mean, I, I, I hate that I even have to say this is, of course, I don't believe the FDA is, is even good, but yeah, I think that in an anarchist society or a libertarian society, there would be testing. There would be long-term testing. And I mean, this is just authorized. This isn't like approved. This isn't like the quote unquote expert saying it's approved. And it's like, no, this is just rushed to market and just stick it in your kid. You know? And then it's like, you know, I posted something the other day. I said, you know, just to be clear right now, there are not a bunch of kids running around with blood clots and myocarditis. I saw five that. to 11 year olds and that's going to be buried i mean it's going to they will make excuses for this they will say you know and i already had people going well that's what the that's what the disease does the disease causes blood clots and i'm like not in five to 11 year olds most of them don't even know they have it i mean we're in a sick world man i mean it's hard it's it's hard not to wake up black pilled every day and i just have to i have to believe the good guys are going to win i have to believe that we're going to win one sometime and people are going to start waking up to this i hope so man i i saw uh we actually wrote an article yesterday that i, I saw this commercial by pfizer that called kids uh superheroes for you know lining up to get the experimental jab um and this is completely experimental. This was before uh, the EUA and before the FDA's final approval. You know, they were part of the, they were literally guinea pigs and part of the um, the experiments to for the trials for to see if it was safe for five to 11 year olds. And, you know, they called these kids superheroes and, and praised them and they were jumping around in capes and said they had superpowers and all this shit. And it was, it was mind blowing to me that, that anybody would even buy that, you know, and and like you had said, this, these kids aren't making that that decision. These five to 11 year olds aren't lining up and saying, give me that shot in my arm. You know, they probably screamed and cried when that was happening to them. And it was their parents were the ones lining them up. You know, it's their parents that are the ones that are putting these people in power. It's their parents that are, are the ones following their orders and refusing to disobey that it allows this stuff to keep going on and on and on. And, you know, like you said, it's it, we've, we've woken up in some kind of crazy world that um, you know, I don't know, I don't see an end in sight and, you know, unless something drastic happens and, and I'm, you know, I'm definitely, I'm all for peaceful solutions and stuff, but I think that this, this, this could be something that actually, you know, causes people to react with violence. I mean, they're giving so many people no choice, you know, when, when, when there's going to be 40,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand, a million people out of jobs because they refuse to, to take the vaccine, um, you know, what then, what, what are these people going to do? And then they're not eligible for unemployment. You know, what, what's going to happen when we push, not we, but this country and this establishment pushes millions of people to the brink, put like essentially starving them, you know, removing their means of making money and, and pushes them to the brink. What's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when that inevitably ensues here? And maybe, you know, once this OSHA thing comes into effect. I mean, I think at this point, it almost appears like they want violence. It almost appears like the government is setting this up because they want people to get violent. I don't know that people are going to get violent. I I think there are 
you know, federalism has been kicking in for about 20 months. So there are going to be some states that are going to be like, absolutely not. This isn't happening. Um, no matter what you believe about that Christy Nome character from South Dakota, the drug warrior, um, she you know, said today that she will sue to you know, the, the whole OSHA thing over 100 employees. And now they're talking about doing under 100 employees and everything. Um, I think that... If I were to judge by the last 20 months and how enough people in certain areas that have all the influence, which means the coasts, have reacted to this thing, I think that a lot of people inland follow suit with them. Just I don't know why. Uh, it seems to me that people will ask for UBI, ask for universal. I, I said right off the bat, I, I said in March of last year, this was all about UBI and universal health care. And I think that's what people are going to ask for. They're going to ask for Medicaid, you know, Medicare for all. Um, they're going to want they're going to want to check every month. And that's what's going to be demanded. I don't see the violent. I don't see people getting violent and picking up guns. I I see a lot of people willingly leaving their jobs. They're telling me they're like, well, I'm just leaving my job. And I don't know, you know, th these are just people on the internet telling me these things. So I don't know, you know, where they're, you know, when it comes down to it, wh where they're stretched at mentally. But I think that a lot of people saw the way, see the way that the government demonizes people, anyone who is, is against them, calls them white supremacists, even if they're black. Um, and they're just like, at this point, they don't know how to fight against this other than other than to just take it at this point, you know? And I mean, it's really, it's really sad. And I think it really just goes to show that that whole thing about, you know, hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men. Seems like, you know, we've had good times for a long time, and it seems like most of the population is really weak at this point. Yeah, if I could jump in here on my take, um, you know, it's funny, human sacrifice, you know, that went by the wayside. That was something that eventually kind of evolved. We've evolved out of, but it seems like now we're giving our children for human sacrifice, you know, and it's, you know, there's just a level of hysteria and fear, I think, clouding people's judgment and making just these poor, rash decisions under the guidance of the CDC and uh, the FDA, which, you know, as anybody who's been paying attention to this stuff, they're basically the CDC and FDA. They're just marketing companies, right? Or just retirement homes for lobbyists. So, um, yeah, I actually have uh, a bun in the oven right now. My longtime partner is nine months pregnant, and we decided to do a home birth and find a midwife because the last couple times that she went in, for checkups, the the doctors were pressuring her to get the vaccine for COVID, for the flu, and it's just insane. You know, it's it's absolutely insane. Obviously, there's adverse effects that are being reported. the The risk isn't zero when it comes to this these vaccines. So, the idea that parents are just lining up their kids and it's just a roll of the dice. You know, they're going to get them uh, inoculated, and and there's a chance that they could have you know heart conditions. Uh, any number of side effects. It's just absolutely insane to me. And it actually reminds me of the story that we covered October 25th, Matt. I believe you wrote it uh, about the family who um, actually had their 12-year-old daughter. I think her name was Maddie Daguerre. 
uh, and she was actually in the yeah. trials for the vaccine. And now she's paralyzed by the Pfizer vaccine. And of course, um, Comcast censored uh, the TV ad that was created by the family, and they won't allow that to be played. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's just insane on so many different levels. And uh, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, with the, the later part of that conversation, like, what do you think, Pete, is needed for people to actually resist the lockdowns? At this point, I really honestly believe that the only thing is local government, like coming together and people really, well, either, see, this is, nobody wants to use the government because, you know, the, the, the state it's all violence and everything. Um, and I understand that. I just think that resistance at this point without an air of legitimacy is going to be struck down and struck down, struck down hard and not only struck down, but it, that it's going to be, um, delegitimized, um, in the eyes of the public. And all we have to do is look at what, you know, look at Waco, look at Ruby Ridge. They had the narrative was already set. Um, you know, I mean, if people, if enough people, you know, just go to their, you know, if you're in a small, especially if you're in a small town, I mean, if you live in New York City, you're just fucked. I mean, you're at least, you're done. I mean, I've been preaching and I hate this because people have family and they don't want to leave. And I really, you know, culture is really important to me, but if you're in a big city, get the hell out. I mean, at this point, you don't know how you're going to get food at some point. I mean, I left Atlanta. I'm in, I'm in the Midwest now, um, in a town of 25,000. And we're talking about going to a County of 12,000. There's only 12,000 people in the whole County. So we can have chickens and, and goats and grow food. Because this world is doesn't seem like it's getting any better, and it seems to be getting worse. I mean, at you know, at a um, oh, oh, let's use let's use a term everyone's familiar with: warp speed. It's like warp hmm. speed to to hell. And I really, honestly think now, it really at the local level, if you know, you have some people in your town, especially if you have some people on the count on the town council or the mayor who's willing to stand up and go, yeah, that ain't happening here. And they have the sheriff behind them. I think really that's the one legit, you know, legitimate way to make a stand without turning, you know, without turning into the, you know, without getting Wacoed. Because I think that any groups that come together to take a stand in that kind of way, I mean, they're, you know, the left and these insane people, they own the narrative and they'll spin the narrative however they want. And as tasteless as that sounds, that may be, you know, using, using government, um, at the most local level. I, I think that, that that may be the only way for the time being until can figure something out is that I just don't think there's any fixing Washington or even moving Washington. I don't know if you can get enough people friendlies elected to move Washington, even if they were in the majority, it just seems too entrenched, you know, and there may be, you know, locally, there might just be too entrenched in corruption as well, but really it's the only thing that I really have. I think that, you know, and you know, one of my idols, Hans Hermann Hoppe, I think he would agree with me. I mean, he's always talked about, you know, local, local politics as the way forward, you know, to build a more libertarian society. So that's really all I got at this point. 
Well, I mean, yeah. that's you can see what's happening in Florida and Texas and um and you know in South Dakota, like you had mentioned, where those red state governors, uh, you know, they refuse to comply with the federal mandates. And I mean, for the large part, it's awesome. I just, uh, you know, on that, those, that's, that's definitely a larger scale and it's not like a localized level, but, um, and there are places that, that you mentioned like sheriffs and such that, that are refusing to comply with, with these mandates. And, uh, I just like, I wish, man, that the, that these, that like DeSantis and, and, you know, the, and, uh, Naomi, they weren't these just disgusting figures that like they're, that are so polarizing, you know, I'm not saying that the disgusting is not the right word, but they're so great on COVID and then so terrible on everything else, you know, and which involves like individual freedoms and liberty and stuff, which, um, you know, which is terrible, but yeah, I mean, we can look at that and as proof of that, you know, that it works and to a certain degree, like in Florida, you know, people aren't getting mandated. They they can keep their jobs. The, the, the government's going to bat for them and, and embattling the feds against these, these OSHA mandates, you know? So in that regard, certainly, you know, it's, it's working. And for a short term gain, I think that, you know, that's probably the best option. You know, that's like, that's down here. I live in a, in a, a small town, Louisiana, and, we have, you know, I guess for the most part, we're like a blue state, you know, as far as governor goes. But and he implemented a uh, John Bell Edwards and implemented a bunch of crazy lockdowns uh, and mask mandates and everything. In fact, it just lifted last week. Um, but, you know, everybody in my entire town, no one complied. We're a town of about 250,000 people. And I mean, essentially no one complied. You know, businesses stayed open. They didn't abide by the uh you know the capacity regulations you know we, we even when they read they told bars to shut down every bar like stayed opened it was uh and and we were we were fine and and our local economy you know it didn't suffer as bad as as other places like new orleans that was completely shut down and you know saw so many of their businesses permanently shuttered um but yeah so that's another example of a small town like a smaller government kind of protecting or insulating the people underneath it you know that from this big tyrannical uh oppressive system that you know seeks to to implement its will you know without any kind of due process or or with extreme prejudice rather as far as your your point about the resistance being uh delegitimized pete i i would agree uh you know the power of propaganda is very strong uh, a lot of feeble minds out there people who aren't quite capable as of right now to spot propaganda or know when they're being fed it. Um, and the, the media owns the narrative. You know, unfortunately, uh, we were making some headway with the alt media world there for a little while. But around 2016, 2017, uh, the whole fake news narrative, they basically smashed us uh, to pieces with help of big tech. And, uh, you know, they continue to, to own the narrative now. So, um, so much so that even somebody who is an ally on our side, uh, the the creator of the mRNA vaccine, Robert Malone, uh, you know, he came out speaking against several aspects of the COVID vaccine and they shot him down, delegitimized him. Uh, you know, so, I mean, even somebody who has the legitimate credentials to be speaking out about this stuff, I mean, it doesn't matter to the establishment. You know, if you're uh, going, if, if you're not towing the line, if you're going any si anywhere outside of that, uh, those parameters, then they will shut you down. And, uh, you know, I was glad that you you did bring up uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe. I'm certainly uh, a big fan of his work over the years. 
In fact, I, uh, I'm still working my way through uh, the economics and ethics of private property, which <laughs> is an amazing book. And I guess it was written when I was 12, which is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> but uh, it really lays out the logical and, and moral foundation for private property and, and basically how that limits uh, conflict in society. Um, but forgive me as with this point, it might be a little long winded, but I need to provide a little context. So um, we with the Free Thought Project, you know, when we do our podcast, we're always trying to take some time to talk about solutions. And we recently listened to your podcast from uh, August 15th with the hosts of King Pilled and Popular Liberty uh, entitled Examining Hoppa's What Must Be Done. And um, after seeing similar sentiments, you know, recently from the Mises Institute, Jeff Dice, Tom Woods just got together at a Mises event and kind of touched on the same topic. So it kind of intrigued me, you know, as to like why this, uh, this, I guess what Hoppe wrote in 1997, why it's resurfacing again. And um, I had the tab open for a few weeks. I just hadn't got around to actually listening to it, but I'm glad I did. Uh, it's a brilliant speech by Hoppe. Uh, I'm certainly more interested in the strategy and hearing more about it, if you don't mind, like being our guide uh, for that process. So um, for years, you know, the Free Thought Project has aligned with the mentality and strategy of winning hearts and minds by planting seeds of philosophy of liberty through social media, you know, through all the social media uh, platforms and stuff, in hopes that it would more or less motivate the public to do their own research and adopt libertarian worldviews, which, you know, would produce more freedom in the world by default. Um, while this approach doesn't really have a clear designated path, um, with the advent of decentralized information exchange known as the internet, it felt like this approach would eventually gain steam and it would eventually give us the upper hand in the world of politics uh, with the end goal, you know, eventually finally being the disillusion of the state. And I know li many libertarian thought leaders have suggested this, Larkin Rose, uh, Ron Paul, Lou Rockwell. While I understand this isn't like an easy sell and most of us realize this is going to be like a, a long-term intergenerational shift uh, that will take decades uh, for any kind of significant change to really occur, do you believe that we're making headway with this approach or is it more that the headway isn't happening at like a fast enough rate? Um, especially I guess with like the info wars with COVID dominating and everything. I mean, I guess that's kind of what you were saying is that we just, we're kind of running out of time here. And so we, we kind of really need to uh, step it into overdrive and, and be more proactive on the political level. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. You, you know, we have to do this start immediately, but not expect to see, um, great gains, the kind of end goal gains we want, you know, for, for decades out. Um, the, this, the strategy is distasteful to a lot. I mean, you mentioned Larkin Rose. I don't know that Larkin would at all be interested in, in the strategy that Hans lays out. Um, right. I know, I know Lou Rockwell would, and, um, I mean, Jeff Dice has become pretty apolitical <laughs> recently, too. So, I mean, but um, I think he, uh, you know, I've talked to him about it and he definitely understands it. And he, I think he probably sees it as the best way forward. But through studying um, communism, I came to the conclusion that, uh, like, collapsing the state would probably be just the the worst thing because, one, a lot of people would get hurt. A lot of people would die um, in the process. And you would just get the same people back. The um, I think that's one thing that Lenin understood. Lenin understood that, um, and he got it from Engels, 
was that if they just collapsed the state, that the same people who own the state, the people would beg for them to save them because there wouldn't be anyone, you know, there were there had been no progress towards training people in a different way and getting them used to the Bolshevik way, um, the ways of the communists. So, you know, they absolutely hated the uh, hated the com- um, the anarchists back then. And after they took over, they killed them. Um, but the the idea of collapsing the state is just ludicrous because the people will just beg for what they want, what what they want. And the people want a state. Now, whether that's by nature or by, you know, because they were educated by the state into believing that really is academic at this point. I mean, get your kids out of schools. Yeah. But I mean, for other reasons, too. But the the idea is to, you know, Hans wanted to said he looked at you know, like a uh, principality like Liechtenstein as a perfect model. Uh, Liechtenstein, their uh, Prince Hans there is allows secession down to the individual. The tax rate is ridiculous. If you don't pay taxes, you don't go to jail, stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's pretty much the closest thing to Ancapistan on the planet right now. And he wanted to figure out a way to institute like 10,000 of them in the United States and you know break the United States up, basically. And the way he said was, well, he's just really going to have to go at it local. And he lays out, I mean, this is 25 years ago. I mean, can you imagine if people had started doing it 25 years ago, how different the country might look right now? I mean, we waited 25 years to really look at this and take it seriously. Um, So, you know, he talks about getting and i really think that this works in red areas and in small areas the smaller the better the test case we're doing right now is getting a few people elected in lockhart texas and we're going to introduce the concept of a sovereign wealth fund that people can look up um the nordic countries have been using it for their social security for their retirement and everything and it's been very prosperous for them and um you you can uh, we just did a I just did a podcast with Dave Smith and my friend Andrew, and you can go over there and get a a more broad take on it. Also, I've done some episodes on what's called the anti-tax. If you just go to like my podcast, Remind Me on the Wall, look up search anti-tax, you'll find it. And, um, you know, we're looking to influence these towns into becoming more libertarian. And we understand that people want a state we're just going to give them our goal in the long run is to in the short run our goal is to nullify all of this is to say no there's no mandates going to happen here you're not going to you're not masking kids you're not putting a needle in anyone's arm who doesn't want it you know get the hell out but in the long term we're looking to basically not take over a town government but mold it in our in our way and make it more private, start privatizing things. That's what Hans talked about. Um, privatize the schools, privatize as much as possible, try to privatize property, get people out of property tax and everything like that. And um, if people want a state, well, we'll give them a state. It'll just be private. It'll be like a private city, if that makes them happy. Sure, it's not Ancapistan, but I don't think people are ready for Ancapistan. I think if I think most people, even people who want Ancapistan, 
would get to Ancapistan and they'd be like, I, I don't know if I can handle this because most people want freedom, but they don't want responsibility. And, you know, responsibility is probably, you know, something we don't want to talk about, but it's part of being a human and part of being an adult and um, something that's been pretty much written out of our vocabulary. Yeah, especially when you consider all the things that are going to need to be funded voluntarily, you know, I mean, that's not a simple task. And uh, I'm sure eventually some type of firms would come, you know, along and, and maybe make that list a little bit more efficient. You know, well, here's all the things that you need to do for your personal neighborhood. Here's all the things that you need to contribute for for your city. But I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And uh, I guess the question that comes to mind, I, f- I feel like maybe our listeners might be asking and I know you guys touched on this in your podcast, but what is the time frame for something like this to really take hold and take root? I think you guys said like 12 to 20 years and then your other guests said it could be you know, done in a year. I guess it depends on the locality, uh, the city, um, you know, the actual area. But what what is your thoughts on that, Pete? Well, you know, it's getting people elected and it's not hard to get people elected locally. Um, you just have to get your people elected. And um getting the getting the anti-tax um put in place is something that would be would definitely speed it up Uh, but getting it private i mean it's going to be different in in a lot of different areas you know it's also going to be the people that are on your side how willing they are to go fast you know i mean you don't want to go too fast if you go too fast people start rebelling so I think the most important thing right now is you get some people in place and really just seek to nullify all of this. That's the short-term goal. The short-term goal is, I mean, I've told people who are running for office, I've said, yeah, just run on this. No mask, no one's masking your kids. No one's forcing a needle in your arm. You can own any gun you want and, you know, liberty. I, I find it hard to believe that People, especially in red areas, predominantly red areas, would not get elected on that um, on that message, and you know, just run on a nullification message. That's not something people are used to hearing. People are used to hearing, "Oh, you know, we'll see what we can do, and I'll make sure the schools are like this." No, run on safety and run on the fact that the government, this you know, the federal government's gone full totalitarian, and we have to do something about it. So let's do something about it. I think a lot of men and a lot of fathers and a lot of vets and a lot of people will be turned on to that and would get behind somebody like that. And they get behind somebody like that, local law enforcement is going to fall into line as well. I mean, they're not going to rebel against that or else you get get fired. So, and that's short term, just nullify all of this. And then look, you know, 10, 20, 30 years out, see about making things as private as possible and I mean, it could happen sooner but i mean i'm also one of these people who understands that great men in history did things that they knew they weren't going to benefit from in their lifetime but they sought to leave a legacy for the people they loved so that's pretty much what i'm fighting for at this point well put man um there's some there's a similar uh, experiment going on, I guess, in Keene, New Hampshire, with the Free State Project. What, uh, which you know, they're, they're doing, they're making similar moves and uh, and 
have been for some time now. And there's lots of people moving there uh, to, to, you know, to, to try to join in with, with that movement. What, uh, what's, what separates the, what's the, what differences are there between what you're going to go do in Texas and what's happening right now in, uh, in New Hampshire? Or is it, is it, uh, do we, should we start like, do you think that there could be, and this is multiple questions, sorry, but so what's the difference between you and the Free State Project or your, your plans in the Free State Project? And then, um, would you also be supportive of other places doing the same thing, you know, not as not to try to stretch it too thin or, or, um, at what point maybe does it get stretched too thin? You know, should we concentrate at one area or, or, um, or should we just like shoot with the buckshot, you know, and try to start as many as possible? Um, both, um, I support the free state project and I've really questioned if the free state project was going to work for a while now. Um, and then Jeremy Kaufman of, um, who created library LBRY, um, he is on the board of the free state project now. And I think what it took was, and I mean, I know this sounds so normy was somebody that I really ideologically align with and somebody who I agree with on pretty much everything. I think most of the people that I've spoken to the free uh, to from the free state project before, um, they were I probably consider them a little, you know, to the left of me as far as like cultural things and even politically, um, to the left. And it was just like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work, but after having a, a discussion and actually it's an episode I'm going to be releasing in a couple days, um, with Jeremy, um, I think he's pretty much convinced me that they they have it going on up there and that, um, even taking over the state, they're going to try and make everything more local, um, and break, break things down by city. Um, but as far as what we're, what we're doing in Lockhart, um, I mean, it's it's cool. Um, the I, I it has to be done other places. We just because this is the first one, you know, it's like our test subject. Um, it's our, our test case. And right. right now we're concentrating on Texas and f- doing this in Texas and Florida only because those are the two states that are really vocally against have have been vocally against the lockdowns and and all the mandates and everything like that but i mean other areas sure it's just you know it has to be you know you know we started a pack in order to do this to support um local candidates and you know we're if people are giving us their money we're going to spend it wisely Um, we're not going to put it in areas that we don't think that this can work I mean, I don't know that I would do it in any town in Illinois at this point or New York. But if somebody from like South Dakota or even like Missouri somewhere, um, you know, was like, OK, I think we can make this work here. You know, we'd look at it as a test case. I just saw some mayor. God, someone sent it to me last week and I can't remember what city it was in. But he's called like the Bitcoin mayor. And this guy like <laughs> is giving bitcoins to like everyone in town everything like that and he's you know really trying to get, turn people onto bitcoin and i'm like yeah we just got to contact this guy like immediately we need to talk to this guy and um you know but yeah sure i mean we want to see it happen all over the place but we just want to be really selective at this point i mean trying to do it in new york city would just be a waste of money yeah, but doing or, it, you know, doing it in Lockhart where, I mean, the the person who we're running our candidate against uh, 
won with four votes. They didn't win by four votes. They had four votes total. And their opponent had one vote. He voted for himself. (laughs) This is a very small town then. I mean, it's not really, it's not the smallest of towns, but obviously people don't think that the, you know, a city council seat is very important, you know, so um, we'll make it important. I mean, if he just brings his relatives that live in town, he can get more than four votes. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at now. We're just being selective about it. If we're going to, if we're going to spend donors money, then we want to um, make sure that, you know, it's well spent. Sure. Well, I'm sure as of this point in the podcast, our listeners' heads are probably spinning because we've long advocated for not voting. But I think anybody who's paid attention closely to our words, that always has been on more of a federal level. And I think still at this point, we could all agree that that's pretty pointless to to even engage in any type of voting on the federal level. But I think it's safe to say that there is a shift happening even without some of these uh, localism type of actions. I mean, it is, you know, we are in the age of information, um, which means, you know, ignorance is a choice. And while some people aren't capable of taking the red pill and some even have incentive not to, uh, such as state employees, um, it seems like a generational passing of the torch is inevitable as boomers continue to pass on and phase out and new generations who are more internet savvy will hopefully seek more accountability through, um, you know, the communication like the internet. I've been saying for years that, you know, we're hopefully enter into the age of accountability. With that being said, I know in the liberty movement, there's been a lot of backlash to you presenting this idea of what uh, Hans Hermann Papa calls defensive democracy. Um, and I get that, you know, I guess this whole conversation and debate has been going on for years. Uh, it's the whole pragmatism over principle. And um, I believe in one of your podcasts, uh, you you said that it's unfortunate that we have to use a state for a defensive posture, but we must not live in, in Kapistan in our heads. And I get that, right? Like, I, I totally understand it. Sometimes it does feel futile just continuing to post meme after meme, writing article after article. And I think, yeah, we do want some type of path forward. Um, So I I think, you know, for the liberty movement, from what I'm gathering from your position, Pete, is that you're not necessarily all in on the localism uh, using the state as this defensive democracy. It's just this seems like the time and the place right now to to use it because our rights and liberties are being, you know, eviscerated such a fast pace right now and the info wars are definitely being lost you know by our our side our team uh is that correct is that kind of where you stand i mean you're still kind of for the the ultimate goal of a stateless society but for right now i mean you're just you're kind of more focused on this well i mean i think the time for this was 1997 like two days after he gave that speech or like the sure. day he gave that speech um, which goes to show how ahead of the curve he is i mean jesus man like that's so impressive yeah yeah the um yeah i mean i hate oh god i hate politics as a sewer i mean it's politics is worse than twitter maybe um but the, <laughs> but but yeah no one wants to do this it just doesn't seem like there's okay so you know 20 months ago i wouldn't have thought about this but you know covid really changes things and you have to look at the time and 
a lot of people were saying, you know, last year, you know, oh, COVID will be gone, but after the election, oh, COVID will be gone after the inauguration. Right. And then, yeah, and I was saying in March of 2020 that this is going to be all about vaccines and they're going to be mandated. Gee, how did I know? Well, I've been paying attention um, to the whole vaccine thing for years. I mean, I predicted this would be about vaccine passports um, in February of last year, but that wasn't because I'm a genius. It's because I was reading about vaccine passports in 2016. So, I mean, I just knew what was coming. And, you know, four years ago, the idea of doing anything, I mean, I haven't voted since Ron Paul in 2008. I haven't been, I haven't been registered, I don't think. And, um, yeah, the, the idea isn't good to me, but it seems like it's time, especially after everything we've been through. I mean, you know, the whole, I came up with that whole Ancapistan in your head thing because people were just arguing like COVID wasn't happening. And I have to wonder, are these people, you know, I was asking, are these people who live at home and still live at home with their parents or are they people who just have accepted it, that this is the way it is from now on? And I just said, well, I mean, we can want as our ultimate goal to live in a stateless society, but after the last, you know, after watching people succumb to this hysteria, the likelihood of that seems really slim. I mean, for, I mean, it seems impossible to me, um, especially on a grand scale. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can do it on a smaller scale and not only start to build that, but also use it as a nullification method about as to what's going on right now. And it really seems the only thing. I mean, posting memes on the internet is fun. I do it every day. I've been doing it every day for, you know, over over half a decade now. And the memes have changed a lot of people's minds. There is but, a place for that. Yeah, yeah, and, and it helps with it helps you know recruiting individuals and helping to shape individuals and um, change some people's minds. But it didn't do anything to stop what happened in the last 20 months. And I honestly believe, and people have tried to give me examples of, to the contrary, but they don't end up, is that it takes a state to be a, be the state, or it takes a state to hold off a state. And even if it's a small little state that's, you know, a, a county of 12,000, you know, may be able to hold off federal tyranny just because they say no. And they say, okay, well, then genocide us. Let, let, everybody, let everybody see who you are. Come in and kill us all, if that's what you want to do. I mean, at this point, I just don't see, I don't see any other way. I mean, mm -hmm. there's the, the person who believes that I mean, anybody who's old enough to understand the you know concept of Ancapistan, 10, 12 years old, maybe even younger, and articulate it, they're not going to see it in their lifetime. Not the way that it's laid out in like for a new liberty where you have a completely stateless society and everybody and it's not it's not going to happen. And so what in lieu of that, what would you rather see? And, you know, I'd rather see that people fight this insane insanity. 
people don't understand that this is 10 times, I mean, 100 times worse than what happened after 9-11. After 9-11, we lost so many, you know, we had to take off our shoes at the airport and get groped every once in a while. I mean, this is like literally, okay, we're going to stick this experimental thing that the creator of it says don't take into your body. And people are lining up for it. And they're not only lining up for it, they're lining their kids up for it. The people who are most likely to survive this and not even be affected by it if they get it. I mean, I had it. it I mean, I'm I'm old and, you know, I'm older and it kicked my ass for for a few weeks, but I got past it. I mean, it's barely affecting kids. And the fact that when you say that, somebody will has to like, well, this kid, this name. Well, the fact that you have to just name one name, one name just goes to show that you're proving my point. You know, you're just coming in with an outlier. Um, I think that I don't see anybody in mass wanting in Kapistan. Um, I think that we, because a lot of us are very online and online you can stay in your own um echo chamber i think a lot of us believe falsely that more people want what we want than um than they actually do i mean even the term liberty is like problematic i mean it's like you, you talk to somebody in germany and they believe liberty is free health care and free college right. so you ask people what what they you know, do you want liberty it's like, well, yeah, I want liberty. Okay, well, what does that mean to you? And then you start listening to them, and you're like, whoa, that's not even close to what I want. So, no, <laughs> maybe you have to, maybe you're just gonna have to force it down their throat, you know, <laughs> or at least show them that it's, you know, at least trick them a little bit, give them something that looks like a state, except it's not really a state. It doesn't have the power of a state. And it's just a lot of um, a lot of people who decided private property and private governance and um, a peaceful way is a lot better for their you know little town of twenty five thousand. Yeah, I mean Hans Hermann Hoppe says the ultimate goal is the restoration of private property from the bottom up and the right to property protection. And uh, yeah, ultimately I, I would have to agree. You know, obviously a stateless society, volunteerism. Uh, non-aggression, those are all important as well. But I'm, I'm glad you had a chance to kind of clear the air there, Pete, because um, I know you've been uh, attacked online for kind of suggesting this shift. And, uh, you know, I think it's something we need to talk about, right? We need to we need to look at all the paths to liberty. Uh, you know, we've always um, promoted the multi-prong approach, and this is just one of them. You know, I mean, the, the multi-prong approach basically consists of the political apparatus, uh, boots on the ground, as far as like protests, civil disobedience, uh, conferences, agorism, and then the one that we've employed for the past 10 years, which is winning the hearts and minds. But um, do you feel like the Libertarian Party could be like a vehicle for change? And like, how do you feel about the Mises Caucus? I don't know how much you've really put out there, your opinions on the Mises Caucus. Maybe I've just missed it. But I know there are certain people like, um, you know, Sal Mayweather, uh, Sal the Agorist, who's like completely against the Mises Caucus strictly on principle um where do you stand on on those i pretty much love everyone in the mises caucus um you know i was i'm in contact with somebody in the mises caucus every day and just talking and um 
you know, I'm I'm not a fan of the Libertarian Party only because this country has decided, the people of this country have decided that it's a two-party system. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not one for democracy, but I'm also not going to pick a fight with, you know, someone who can kick my ass, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to argue with people. People, if people want two parties, they want two parties. Um, you know, though Bishop has suggested that the Mises Caucus would do a lot better if they were a lobby group and they had nothing to do with the Libertarian Party. Um, I tend to agree. I, I think that lobbying groups like um, National Association for Gun Rights, they look at what those guys, I mean, that's a right-wing organization. Um, I don't think that they would admit to this, but they are you know, not pro-police like the like the nwa uh, like the nwa like <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely not pro please <laughs> <laughs> they might be now um, things are changing pretty fast but not like um like the nra sure. you know who just um and look at what they've done look how many look how many um states they've gotten constitutional carry passed um within the last you know, 10 years it's just amazing when you stay focused on like one thing but the Mises Caucus are amazing fundraisers, um, and I think that they could do great things. I just don't see, I no longer see the benefit in the Libertarian Party, and I'm not saying that, you know, that doesn't mean that I don't think people, you know, should, shouldn't support the Mises Caucus. Um, I just wish they would take it. I, I think there's a different way, and, um, you know, I think that, you know, someone like Dave Smith, who I love like a brother, um, I'd love to see him run, you know, if you want to get that message out there, do what Ron Paul did, run as a Republican, get on the debate stage, you know, and um, just hammer those, hammer those uh, war hawks and hammer those drug warriors and scumbags right. up there. Could you imagine Maj and Dave Smith? I mean, that's a, that's a power duo right there. <laughs> That'd be amazing. You know, it would be amazing. You know, but I mean, I just don't, I think we're a two party. And I think if you, if you have a political party and you're going to work through a political party, it's about power. And, you know, the libertarian ideology just, you know, when you look at it, doesn't seek power, you know, it has like the lowest I mean, libertarians have like the lowest time preference for desiring power out of any um, out of any group. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and Dice even made that that point as well, saying that, you know, more or less the left has co-opted and, and basically taken over so many institutions within the government, whether federally, locally, uh, statewide, that they've they really have an advantage over us. And I guess that kind of got my wheels turning a little bit, you know, and well, I, I like the idea of localism and trying to influence local politics for more favorable liberty-based measures and, and even repealing victimless and intrusive laws. I guess my problem is like, I don't believe that, you know, we should try to replace the end goal of delegitimizing the state. You've clarified that that's not your position either. You don't want to substitute, you know, this defensive democracy for volunteerism. It's just the path that you believe is probably the most likely and advantageous uh, for the time being. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. I mean, you know, and, and if you're going, you know, if you are going to use like, like the Bolsheviks, you know, what did they do? They basically became a political party, but you know, they are, their whole message was that the political system was the political system needed to be destroyed. Now, 
there's an obvious um, contradiction there that you're using the political system to preach that the political system needs to be destroyed that you know smart people like libertarians are immediately going to pick up on and point point the finger and laugh at you because let's face it when you have no power all you can do is point the finger and laugh at other people who are trying to do things um and you know that but yeah i just don't see i'm looking at the i'm listening to what most people would argue would be like the greatest living libertarian hans Hermann hoppe and he says he's um been to Liechtenstein. he has advised prince hans um they know each other and he says this is the way i see that we can get to you know where we where we go and as much of an as an appeal to authority fallacy as that sounds well maybe you should listen and give it you know and not dismiss it out of hand just listen to what he has to say and see if it makes sense to you now it may not make sense to you and you do dismiss it out of hand but at least you listened you know (laughs) so um i mean it's really the only thing i see right now especially with the escalation of the state um I mean, we're li- literally living under an anarcho tyranny right now when it comes to federal federalism. And I mean, if you're going to fight it, how do you fight it? You know, I mean, they have the most advanced army in history. They have the most. I mean, I don't know that they would turn their guns on American citizens, but some of them would. I mean, not everybody who's in the military is a. Um, it is a right winger. I mean, I have a family member in the military right now, career military, who's a communist. So who knows? You know, so and I really think that really the only way to do it now is to have some kind of legitimacy in your fight and really legitimacy. When people look at the state, they feel like that force and even using defensive force is only legitimate through the state. And, you know, it's like you said, if they control the narrative and they can put out any story they want, any individuals or people who are um, seeking to violently resist would, um, or forcefully resist, you don't even have to use violence, they would be um, just deemed as undesirables and dangerous to your grandma. Absolutely. And we don't need to look much further than police in America to know that they have no problems initiating violence on peaceful people. Uh, it's just following orders, right? Well, you know, I know we could talk about this for probably another three hours, Pete. We really appreciate you coming on. I know you have to go here. So just as a reminder to our listeners, please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing. Go to the top of our website. You can find those links for that. There's also a newsletter there, T-shirts. Check out Legal Shield while you're at it. It's awesome. You basically have a lawyer in your pocket. Follow us on social media. We're on 15 different social media platforms. And just one last thing, guys, if you could please review and rate this podcast. And also definitely check out Derek Bros's freedomcells.org. It's just pretty similar to what we're talking about today, just finding like minds in your area and uh, trying to network and connect so we can start building this future that we're talking about. Very much appreciate your time. Is there anything you want to plug, Pete? Um, Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast and the Libertarian Institute with uh, Scott Horton, Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anslone, Keith Knight, Patrick McFarland, Tommy Sammons. Um, we're doing our end of the year fun fun drive over there. So um, you know, a lot of good people, a lot of uh, diverse thought 
um, all under the libertarian umbrella. So check it out. Absolutely. Definitely an all-star cast over there. Well, we appreciate your time. Um, you know, we believe these conversations are very important to know the blueprints for liberty, what the path forward looks like, and hope we could have you on again sometime, Pete. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.